So we, we're going on, the, on um, the assumption that everyone in, in this room believes that there is a supreme entity or, or supreme presence, let's call it. So, um, and many people, or thousands of people, probably almost everybody, sees that presence as different, you see, the Godhead, the supreme Godhead. Uh, but it all kind of comes down into two fields, two fields of belief, two uh, paths, you might say. Uh, but let's say if there is a Godhead, if there is, and most of us, I think, believe, anybody here not believe that there is a supreme something or other out there? Okay, so we're all agreement on it. Is this supreme whatever, that supreme I hate to use the word thing, but let's say thing, that supreme thing. Is that supreme thing unlimited? Okay, I agree. That supreme entity, creature, whatever, energy, is unlimited. In other words, we can place no limits upon that uh, uh, entity. Some people don't like that word entity because that thing is just energy, you see. So if this thing is unlimited, that means there's nothing that it does not have. It has everything. Is that right? Does that make any sense? Sure. Yeah. All right. So then the supreme entity or supreme thing, if it has everything, it has to have form. And it has to have personality. Otherwise, it's limited. If I can deny it anything, it is limited. So some people say, well, wait a hold it. I've been taught and I've believed for a long time. And gee whiz, everywhere I go in India, they're telling me, oh, but God is just energy, the unmanifest. You see? And I say, oh, I agree. But God is also unlimited. So God is a chintya veda veda tattva. In Sanskrit, that means he's simultaneously this and that. It's unlimited. He's kind of a, he's that kind of a character. You can't say, you, my dear God, are this. And that's it. Because at the same time you're recognizing that he's this, he's also that. At the same time. We can't put him in a box, you see. It's not possible. So, at the, very, at the same time, he is simultaneously unmanifest and yet manifest. So, uh, many times people, they know that, uh, that I'm a Vaishnava and I, rep rep I represent the Vaishnava philosophy. And they're ready to argue because they're thinking, I'm going to tell them, no, there is no such thing as this impersonal concept of God that you have. And when they find out that, no, I'm not here to argue with it because it's there. That impersonal Brahman, huh? it's the, the term is Brahmajyoti. And some people say, oh, that has a name? Well, yeah, it's the Brahmajyoti. It's there. It's the dazzling effulgence. It's the bright light. The unmanifest uh, universal cosmic energy that we've all heard about uh, and we've heard a lot about that and that's and it's very wonderful and it's very beautiful it is eternal it is all-powerful and it at the same time of being the unmanifest Brahma Jyoti it also has personality and form and because that energy is unlimited. It has unlimited personalities and unlimited forms. So now we're kind of stretching our mind a little bit. See, our, our fund of knowledge is growing. You know, we have to get a bigger mindset because uh, this is the absolute truth. In other words, we can't say, uh, no one can say, my God is the truth and yours is rubbish. So why 
does God have a form? Why not just be unmanifest? And that kind of gets us to the subject that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about love. Not just love, but transcendental love. Uh, transcendental, that word means it transcends the material uh, concept, the material world. It transcends. It's above the material. <clears throat> uh, what are the confines of material things? Anybody offer? What are the confines of something that's material? It's born, it grows, produces byproducts, and dwindles and dies. Exactly. It has a beginning. Material things have a beginning. They're here for a while. They give off some byproduct. Then they start to dwindle and they disappear. Even fantastic oak trees. I was in the park today uh, walking and I noticed this in, in this part of the country there's just most beautiful trees. You know, the trees here are just, aren't they amazing? You don't see trees much like this in India. There's some in the mountains, there's some. But here the trees are just fabulous, you know. So there's this one gigantic oak tree. And it was so big, I couldn't, you know, three of us couldn't reach around it. And I'm thinking, wow, you've been here. If you could talk, you could tell stories, you know, maybe back to the Civil War, who knows, you know. Um, so, but this tree at one time was just an acre. You see, and it started out a little sprout. And not far away, I could see another little oak tree, which probably came from an acorn from this tree, and it's starting to sprout. Someday it's going to be. Big. Someday this big oak tree will start to dwindle. You know, it'll start to get a little sickly and it will die. They all do. So in this material world, all we've ever witnessed is things that come into being. You know, they, they have some duration. They stay for a while. They give off some byproducts. And then they dwindle and they disappear. So that's the nature of the material world. Every living entity everything, even the rocks, even the great Humoya, the mountain the Humoyas in, in India, the great mountains, they're dwindling. You know, everything. So that's the nature of material. Transcendental things are just the opposite. They don't have a beginning. They don't dwindle. And they don't disappear. The byproduct, or the um, the things that the transcendental living entities, which is us, uh, what we give is. Does anybody want to take a guess? What do we, as eternal living entities, what is our product that we give? Yeah. Love. That's basically all we're for. It's just like uh, this microphone has a purpose, you see. Now, it doesn't do anything else. It has a purpose. That's, it does what it does. You see, the drum has a purpose. It does what it does. And so many things. Some things in the material world are multi-purpose. And in this day and age, people like to multitask, you see. But we, the living entity, the eternal living entity, we're only meant to love, you see. Now at this point some people say, <coughs> oh, well I'm really good at love. I, and I think, I, I don't think I need any help there. And I'm okay with it. I know how to love. So what I need is more love. I need to be loved. Isn't that common in the material world? Practically everybody feels that way. As I travel around the world, I talk to people about this all the time. Hardly ever do you find anybody that says, oh, I, feel, I feel loved, I don't need any more love. I, I'm okay. People feel uh, unloved. And it goes deep within uh, the fiber of our personality. It has a, a direct influence on how we react with the outside world, you see. I'm not getting what I want. 
It's just like people that, the way people drive on the freeway. You know, they uh, they can get angry very easily. I noticed as I'm going down the freeway that if I make the wrong move, I thought, you know, uh, I, I want to make sure I'm there, I'm here on time. There's a guy coming up to pass me in this lane over here, and they're going a little faster. So maybe if I step on the gas and get over in this lane, I can go faster and I'll get here quicker. But I thought, well, what if this guy, he's coming awfully quickly. If I can't accelerate quick enough, he may get angry. See, I upset it. You know, in, some, in Texas, they might shoot you. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> isn't it? You're, you lived in Texas, you know, that happened. You know. And, and in Los Angeles, too. More so in Los Angeles than in, in Texas, actually. So, uh, now why? What makes people angry? Why should that bother anybody? Is that really enough to make somebody so mad that maybe he doesn't shoot you, but maybe he gets mad and he's yelling at you, blowing the horn because you moved over and slowed him down? That's really not enough, is it? That's not enough to make somebody really angry. So many things that happen to people during their daily life, they become very upset. They become hurt. And if you analyze the situation, what it was that actually happened to them was not enough to explain their reaction. There's something else going on. There's something bothering most people. I'm not getting what I want. Now typically, in Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says that uh, anger comes from unfulfilled material desires. When I don't get what I want, I have a tendency to get angry. Because I want what I want. Now I don't really know everything that I want because I'm thinking that this feeling that I have deep in my heart, deep in my soul, is a want for a better recorder. I saw his recorder. Boy, it's fantastic. It makes mine look like a 1920s model. And I want one like his. And gee whiz, he's got that neatest phone, you know, the whole new, uh, what is the latest iPhone? Huh? Five? There's a five. <laughs> <laughs> I miss three of them. But, uh, I'm not exposed to a lot of that. I don't know. So yeah, you have an iPhone 5 and I want. I know you don't, but or maybe you do. I'm just using it. You see, and I want it. Why does he have one and I don't? I went to school too, and I did this, and I'm a nice person. Why are you denying me what I deserve? This is kind of an, and it's subtle. It's not that everybody walks around saying that. It's very subtle. So therefore, the reactions that we see in the material world, the material reactions, are based on deep-rooted feelings that we don't fully understand and we don't know how to deal with. <clears throat> what we really feel that we actually need if we could listen to ourselves, in other words, if we could become self-realized, if I could get in touch with me, not the body, but me, the soul, the living entity, if I could get in touch with me and actually feel and find out what's really wrong. You see, that's what the, what is it, the psychiatrist does that. The psychiatrist <coughs> asks you questions and tries to get you to answer the questions that only you know. What's really wrong? You know, you're uh, you're an alcoholic, or you're this kind of a holic, you're a gambling a holic, or or you have some problem, some behavioral health problem. What's really wrong? And if we could get to the self-realization point, we'd find out that it's the same answer with all of us. It manifests in different ways. When we're not receiving we don't feel that we're receiving what we're all about. We're all about love. It's the most important thing. It's the biggest power. 
Now we could say, uh, let's, let's demonstrate that. Uh, love. Okay, let's say that you had a choice. You could be uh, a gazillionaire, ten times as wealthy as Bill Gates. All right? You, could, you can have that. And not have so much love. You can either have that or an average wage and the best love affair you could possibly imagine. Perfect love affair. An eternal love affair that would never go away, you never have to worry about it, totally fulfilling. Which one would you rather have? Nothing. Yeah. I, I've never heard anybody that said, hey, I'll take the money. Because people think, you know, if I have the money, I should be able to get love. So love is really what you want. Which would you rather live? Uh, have. Would you rather live to be 90, 95 years old with so-so relationships or die at the age of 50 totally in love? So we're willing to give up fortune and we're willing to give up life, our own life for love. We're actually driven by it. It's a process of uh, eliminate. That's what drives us. That's what we want. You see. That's what we feel is our right to have. It's not the iPhone. It's not that you pulled out in front of me. I just walk around feeling uh, my phone is starting to act up. It's complaining. You didn't mention your It doesn't get enough love. Yeah. <laughs> it heard you wanting your iPhone. Yeah. Yeah, it's complaining. <laughs> I have to turn it down. I apologize for not doing that. Sometimes I forget. I, I forgot how to use it. I was gone out of the country for six months, and when I came back, it took me three months to learn how to use it again. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, that's the common problem. We don't feel that we're loved enough. So. Uh, but if we understand, um, if we can understand ourselves, if we can get some self-realization, we can learn that that's not the problem. That is not the problem. Okay? Now we'll get back to that, but let's go back to where we were talking before. Why does God want to have a form? Why not just a, a nice beautiful, dazzling light. Beautiful, dazzling light. Why not? Why is that not complete enough for the supreme entity? Why does he insist on having a beautiful, the most beautiful appearance and unlimited beautiful appearances? To enjoy the relationship. Exactly. How can you have I mean, like, that's a beautiful lamp over there. I mean, I can really appreciate that light. Nice, soft color, you see, soothing. I can appreciate it in so many ways, but I don't think I can fall in love with it. Uh, you can turn the light up and make it dazzling. I still don't think that I can truly love it. And I don't think I can get it. Love me. I mean, maybe it does, but how do I know that? Some people say, well, you just have to know. Well, I'm stubborn, and I'm not that smart. Help me with this. How can something unmanifest show me love? That's what I want. How is that possible? Again, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. It's there for a purpose. That type of liberation is there for a purpose. Anybody want to guess why that? Why is that type of liberation? Liberation into the impersonal Brahman, which is real and attainable. You can go there. Why is it not complete? Because you can't have that loving affair. Now, why would somebody want it? Because at this particular point in my life, I'm not ready, and there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not ready to get up and up close and personal 
with God. You see? I mean, that's a... To a lot of people, you, when they start thinking about that, they think, whoa, hold everything. You mean holding hand, touching? I mean, not only seeing, touching? That's a little scary. Embracing? Isn't that a little scary? Why? Because you think he's beautiful, right? <laughs> exactly. So that's okay. There's nothing wrong. You're not down to hell if you feel that way. It's just that you're not ready to get that close. You're not ready. But still, I want liberation. So I'd rather see him without a form. In other words, I know that there's a God, but I feel better if he's in the next room or maybe, maybe downtown. You know, it's just like I've talked with some friends who talk about uh, going to heaven, and I say, okay, what's, uh, what do you have when you get there? Well, I'm going to have really great living facilities. The weather is going to be fabulous. The streets are gold. The gates to get in are made out of pearls. It's it's fabulous. It's just wonderful. So okay, so it's kind of like checking in. You check in. You show up with your baggage and they. They put it in golf carts and they take you to your, your nice home. Okay? So what are you and God going to do the next day? You say, well, I don't, uh, I got, she was, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe we'll do lunch. <laughs> you see? So, uh, the devotee the one who is totally in love with the Lord says, well, why do I have to wait till the next day? I want to go immediately. I want to go see this beautiful God, this wonderful creature, the source of all beauty, the source of love. God, definition, he from which everything emanates. But if God is unlimited, how can we say he's a he? Is he just a he? What do you think? How do we know God's not a girl? He has to be both. He's unlimited. Therefore, when we chant this Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, we're praying to Krishna and to his female energy. Hara, or Hare. He is he, and he is also she. He is Radha, and he is Krishna. And we pray to Radha, because without going to her, you're not going to get very close to him. You see? Two souls, or excuse me, two bodies, transcendental, eternal bodies, one soul. But it's like two different entities because he can't really understand how she loves him so much. He always wonders, how is it that you love me so much? You see? So now that kind of brings us back to what we were talking about. I'm wanting to be loved, but yet my position, my purpose for being is to love. So my purpose for being is to love God. To love Krishna. And at this point, a lot of times people say, wait a minute, time out. You keep going to this Krishna. You know, why are you bringing Krishna into it? Why can't we stay with God? Well, God has unlimited uh, personalities, isn't it? You can't put any limits on this. So we're saying Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. Now, how am I going to get away with that? Why are you going to let me say that? Why? Because he appears as Krishna to have a loving relationship with we, the living entity, with us. You see? Now, if you want to have fear and awe and reverence, then you're not going to go to Krishna. Now, you may go to Krishna wanting to fear him and 
and we all groveling. Oh, my dear. But that's not going to last because when you look at Krishna, you're going to think, wow, you are so wonderful. You, you, you're just the most beautiful. You're the most attractive. Not only do I want to get close to you, but I want to come and grab you, hug you. I don't want to ever close my eyes because now that I've seen you, you are just magnificent. You see. So how are you going to fear something that that is that beautiful and that marvelous, that wonderful, that charming, that loving? It doesn't work. But there are personalities <clears throat> of Krishna that we can have all reverence for. And that's okay. I'm not saying that because we're pursuing this loving relationship that, with Krishna that we're above those who want to worship Narayan. Lord Narayan is worshipped in great awe and reverence. He is also Krishna, but he's a different appearance of Krishna. You see, he's the kind of God that when you see him coming, you fall on the ground. You grovel. Is it because he demands it? No, because that's the relationship that we want to have with him. And it's okay. You know, this isn't a, a my team is better than your team. You know, or my, my God can beat your God up, or my philosophy can defeat your. This isn't meant to be like that. This is, I'm simply saying that for the living entity, if you want to have a loving, completely, totally loving relationship with the Supreme, then there is Krishna. He is the lovable. You see? What does Krishna want? First of all, he wants, let me ask you girls, you know all that. What does Krishna want? Yeah. Yeah. But is that all? He wants us to come back to him. Yeah. But there's more to it than that, isn't there? Krishna wants all of you. He wants it all. That's true love. Love means I give you everything, everything. I reserve nothing. I have no interest other than you. you. You have knocked me off my feet. I can't possibly think of anything but you. That's what Krishna wants. Other forms of, of God, same personality, different appearances perhaps, they're not demanding all of you. And that's okay. You may not want to give all today. But if we want to receive it, we've got to give it. As a matter of fact, we're already receiving it. We have been loved eternally by the Supreme Lover forever. And we're not And the reason why we're not aware of it is because instead of directing my attention to my beloved, the most beloved, I'm directing it to me. You see, I've become self-centered. I'm thinking of me. I'm, I want to enjoy. And I don't, I'm not really caring so much if you enjoy, I want to enjoy. <coughs> I don't care if God enjoys. God's God. He's always going to enjoy. You see? And that's okay for you to think like that. But it's not the ultimate thought. The ultimate thought, if we truly love the Supreme Personality of Godhead, we're going to worry. How are you, my Lord? Are you okay? Can I get you anything? We don't think, oh, look, you're God. You can take care of yourself. What do I need to do? What can I do for you? No. In other words, as we start to realize the nature of this Krishna, the loving nature of Krishna, he doesn't seem to be God anymore. He's just Krishna. He's just 
wonderful Krishna. And you exchange loving uh, affair. No fear, no awe reverence, no groveling. Up close and personal. Now, the more that you want him to be God, you can have. And maybe you even say, well, look, I didn't want you to have a personality or a form. That's okay. You can have that too. All right, well, what if I, what if I want to be an atheist? I, want to, I don't even want to, I don't even think there is a God. Does he get angry? Why? You're saying I don't exist? That's like somebody pulling over in front of me on the freeway, and I'm going to get even. What? Because... He, he, he knows that ultimately whatever we try, we go to him. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> you could say that Krishna's, uh, how do they say it these days? Uh, all up inside himself. Is that right? Is that right? In other words, he knows that he's Krishna. He knows. He doesn't have any doubts. He doesn't think. <laughs> you believe I don't exist? <laughs> oh no! Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> you know, he thinks. Oh really? Okay, let's go with that. As a matter of fact, you're saying that I don't exist. I will give you faith to follow that process. I will strengthen your faith. Everything emanates from me. I'll give you the faith. You think I'm just a bright light and nothing else? I'm going to give you faith to follow that. Whatever you want, I'll give you the faith to follow it. Because I'm Krishna, and I know that I'm the most wonderful, and I'm the most attractive, and I know that no matter how, where you go, or how long it takes you to come to the realization, my dearly beloved living entity, I know that you're going to end up right back here. Because I'm Krishna. It doesn't get any better. You see? He can be cocky. Krishna's cocky. I often think about, uh, uh, hey, Durlab, you remember in, in Vrindavan, the, the deity of uh, uh, Krishna Balaram? You know that the deity of Krishna, where he's standing there and he's got his, his hand like this and he's holding his flute and he's got this cocky look on his face like a naughty little boy, and he's saying, hello, I'm Krishna, you know. Now, if, if somebody like Tom Cruise or some handsome guy were to say, I'm the best, you'd think, well, oh. it makes them look not unattractive. But when Krishna says it, you say, well, you really are, aren't you? I mean, you really all are, you really are all there is to be, you know. So he knows, he's not, jealous. He has nothing to be jealous of because he's Krishna. I'm the most attractive. You'll never find anything like me, but if you want to go find out, that's okay. Now why? Why would God say, why would Krishna say that? Not just because he has confidence in himself, because this is a necessary ingredient to true love. You can't be without choice. Otherwise it's not love. Then you're a prisoner. Now the truth of the matter, the absolute truth is, there is nothing else. When we're in front of Krishna, and we're eternal, we were there in front of him at one time, and we said to him, you know, my dear Lord, this is wonderful, but I'm wondering what else is there besides you? I want to go find some love or some enjoyment separate from you. He says, sure. He doesn't say, look, you fool, there's nowhere to go. This, you're in an eternal situation. You and I have been lovers forever. There is nothing else. That's not love. He says, oh, so would you like to find something else? So he creates a world for you and all the rest of us. He creates a material world, an illusory place for you to go look for something else. There is nothing else. But he doesn't want you to realize that. 
He wants you to make that decision on your own. Gently. You know, it doesn't like send a thunderbolt and say, you fool, bam. I'm going to give you the realization that I am all in all. That's not love. For him to taste what he wants, you have to choose him. And to choose him, sometimes you might have to go searching. And you can go as long as you want. Because he's not only going to be there waiting for you, but he's going to sneak along with you. Because you're helpless without him. He doesn't want you to know that. It's just like a parent that has a child that maybe wants to go run away from home. Well, they, what are they going to do on their own? Everything emanates from the parent. All protection and food and everything, you see. So it's like that. Krishna doesn't say, look, you won't last two minutes out there without me. He says, oh, okay, very well. You can go. You could even try to be me. You see? But he sneaks along as the Paramatma. Paramatma, mean, Paramatma means supreme soul. The Christians say the uh, Holy Spirit. Same thing. He's there and he, and he directs you. He goes with you to help. To help you search for something other than him. Knowing that sooner or later you're going to say, all right, enough of this. I, I just want, I just want you, Krishna. So I think we have until 7.30, don't we? Yes. Yeah. So why don't we open it up for questions? Comments? Any question? Any topic you'd like to talk about? What about you? So how you differentiate between love and lust? So people in this material world also like they talk about love Good in different ways actually, you know? Typ all the, all the, that's Typically in this material world we don't even know what love is. We know we want it. But the, uh, the consciousness of loving somebody manifests in such a, a crude way. You see, we've forgotten how to love. Because uh, remember, it's really all about me. In this material world, typically, most of us feel it's really all about me. Now, proof of this, and I've used this before, if you've heard me do this, please forgive me, but you're going to have to endure it. Uh, if we take a, a group photo, okay, we all get together after this class, take a group photo, and we pass the photo around, who's the first person you look for? Good old number one, you look for yourself. See? It's all about us in the material world. Now, I may, I may love you, but that kind of depends on what I'm getting from this love. You see? I mean, it's got to do something for me, otherwise why would I love you? You know, maybe, maybe you're talented and I love you because you sing so nicely. And everybody thinks, oh, look at him, he's, he's dating that beautiful lady and she sings so nicely and they'd be very beautiful I, when you and I walk into a room with you on my arm people say oh look he's with that beautiful girl you know, I want to enjoy I want to enjoy you physically mentally I want to enjoy you and it's kind of based on that you know in most places now some people may say no no that's uh, for the most part, yeah. So, uh, love, that, that's lust. Lust. Now, where does lust come from? <coughs> First of all, is lust bad? What do you guys think? Is lust bad? No, it's not. Lust for, to satisfy me is bad. Lust to satisfy my beloved Krishna. Oh, it's sweet. Now see, that's the difference. Love turned towards me mutates into lust 
when it comes in, in contact with the mode of passion in the material world, it mutates. It takes me the other way. Lust to please Krishna takes me closer to him. Lust to please me takes me away. Now, material lust can never be satisfied. Maybe for a short period of time, even if it's only even 40 years, that's a short period of time in the eye of eternity, you see. So, lust can never be satisfied, material lust. So therefore, it turns into anger. My lust can, is insatiable, you see. For the same, uh, by the same token, my lust to please Krishna can never be satisfied. Because the more I please him, the more I want to please him. And it's unlimited. It's an unlimited situation. Krishna is unlimited. He can be pleased unlimitedly. And I get great pleasure from pleasing Krishna. So this Krishna, can you imagine the most beautiful face, the most charming voice, the supreme. No one's more beautiful, no one is more attractive, no one is more charming, no one makes you feel more comfortable than being with him. You think, oh, I, could, I, I will never leave. I'm going to stay right here with you constantly because I am so attached to you. You are so wonderful. Yes. Apologize if this is a very elementary question. No, no. It may just take a lot of practice. No. But if love is limitless and we're supposed to give, then why do we feel so depleted often of it? If it is boundless and limitless to come to us and be given, what is in us that makes us feel that it is finite? That it yeah. Can that's that's and that's an excellent question. Uh, I should have brought that up. Glad you asked it. Uh, because we put it on a material basis. And I expect something in return. In other words, gee whiz, I've tried to love you and I've loved, I'm, you know, and it's just not working. Why is it, what do you mean it's not working? In other words, you're not getting what you wanted. You see, we have to learn to love unlimitedly. Now let's, if we think about that in terms of being with a partner in the material world, we think, well, there, there are just times when I, you, you're going to be with somebody and you just can't stand them anymore. You've given and given and given and you're depleted. All right, now let's go learn how to fully love. Let's learn what love is an eternal thing with our eternal supreme personality, Krishna. Okay. If you want uh, to really have a loving affair, let's give it to the perfect recipient. In other words, let's learn to love God. Okay. Once we learn how to love God, then we are learning at the same time how to love all living entities. And then I see how you are also loving my beloved. Oh, and I, now I can't help but love you. You see? Now what we've done is we've taken so many things off the table now. Sex life has been taken up. Sex life and love? Do they really go together? I'm not saying sex life is bad. What do they have to do with one another? Sex life is for procreation. Now that I love you and we love each other, let's have children. Let's marry and have children, you see. It, it comes. But if it's based on that, it's, uh, as they say uh, in, uh, in Bengal, Rasabas. You know, what is that? Uh, a relationship that must stop. It has to stop. It's Rasabas. It's uh, not meant to happen, not meant to work. You see, when we... When I base my love of you on my sensual pleasure, well, that's putting a big demand on How can you live up to that? 
for 40 or 50 years. You see? I may, I may love you because you're very beautiful. I want to marry you because you're beautiful. You are beautiful, but not that beautiful. I don't really want to marry you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But now, what have I just done? I've set up something that cannot endure. Sooner or later, time is going to take away most, if not all, of your beauty. I mean, it's not happening to me. I'm still as beautiful as I ever was. <laughs> That's true. When you start a little, it's not hard to keep. <laughs> These guys have known me for 40 years. So they know that that's not true. You see? So in other words, if there's, a, if there's some physical, material element, it's tainted and it's doomed. I will feel depleted because there's no way that my demands on you could be met. It's based on physical. I, you, uh, I love you because you're intelligent. And you're always saying these wonderful things. Well, what if, what if you get Alzheimer's? You see? These bodies will dwindle. None of us want a love that's going to go away. You see, we want eternal. We want the real thing. So therefore, it has to be based on something transcendental. First of all, I need to learn how to be a lover, which means loving without any strings attached. I'm not expecting anything. In other words, if you say to someone, I love you, and they say to you, why? And you say, I just do. I don't have to have a reason, because you're you. That's it. Well, I don't love you. That's not part of the equation. I'm not making that demand on you. It would be nice if you did, but I can't help them love you because I got to know you. I love the way you serve Krishna. You are following, you are the devotee to my Lord that I want to be. How can I not love you? You are teaching me how to love him better, you see. Now when two people that feel that way they're both trying to love Krishna. And they both love each other for their efforts to love Krishna. When they team up, now the demand is, I want you to help me love Krishna. And I've been the thing. That's an eternal occupation. That's an eternal occupation. There is no time limit on that. You see? And the thing I love about you is the way you love him. And I want, I admire that. So now we have love, we have, have admiration. You see? It's a sweet taste. Whatever comes with that is a plus. If we have children, if we, whatever. If you're beautiful, if you're intelligent, whatever. If you can play a nice violin or whatever comes with that is just a plus. But as the substance is, I love you and admire you for the, for the devotee that you are. You see? And, I, and you have my undivided respect. You see? So, that's kind of a different concept of, of love. You know, because we don't, we don't think like that. But that's how to experience transcendental love. And it's an eternal thing. You see? We're attached, um, we become attached to, to loving Krishna and uh, by, by doing so, by loving the Lord, we are love. we learn and we actually are loving all living entities, not just the human beings, all living entities. You didn't touch much on the reciprocation that you can feel from Krishna if you start to really love him. Oh, that's good. <clears throat> That's a good we're point. Still, we still need that feeling of being loved. Right? I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Exactly. So how does that happen? Well, we need it. First of all, we feel the love when we give it to Him. Just on that. We're not, we're not the enjoyer, although we think we are. 
But our nature as living entities, we're not the enjoyer. We're the enjoyed. You see, when we please Him, we become incredibly happy, incredibly pleased. When we direct our love to Him, what actually happens, and this is very confidential knowledge, but in the Vedas, you've heard of the Vedas? In the Vedas, sometimes people read just a little bit of the Vedas and then they go spread it. But if you go deep into the Vedas, Krishna says that he who performs loving devotional service unto me, loving devotional service, it is as if he has purchased me. In other words, he becomes like your love slave. When you give love to him, he devours it. That's what he feeds on. We are part and parcel of him. So he is like us, but in a supreme way. So when you give this love to Krishna, when you surrender to him in love, he surrenders to you in love. That's why we have to get over the concept of God to get close to Krishna. It won't work. We can't think of him as God. He is. Okay, now that we have that out of the way, let's get, let's get over that. You see, we love him unlimitedly. We surrender. Now, sometimes people don't like that word. You know, surrender? Well, isn't that what the Japanese did when we dropped atomic weapons on them? You know, General Lee had to do that to General Grant. It's just not good. Surrender? But surrender between lovers is utmost attractive. Oh, my dearly beloved, I surrender to you. Meaning, I give everything to you. And Krishna says, oh, but I am giving everything to you. You see, it's like you, he becomes, <clears throat> he becomes yours. You see, every living entity. What we don't understand, and again, deep in the Vedas, that and people have to be very sincere in searching for love to get so deep in the Vedas that they, under, that they find the absolute truth. Uh, but the absolute truth is that uh, this is the desire that Krishna has with a living entity. He wants you to surrender to him, which promotes him to surrender to you. And there's so many examples of Krishna's pastimes. In other words, there's this, uh, uh, sometimes when there's a, uh, an atheist around, all, all due respect to atheists, they, they like to ask a question, <clears throat> can God make a rock so big that he can't pick it up? That's usually, you know, tossed around. And the answer that we give is yes, he can make a rock so big that he can't pick it up. And then if he wants to, he picks it up. <laughs> but the rock that is so big that he really can't pick up is the devotee's love for him. Because you conquer him. If you can love him enough, he becomes yours. Now, some people say, well, that means I could be God. But then you're losing your love. If you have the love, then you can conquer him. He, he, he just can't. Now, because he's unlimited, it's not like, you know, if the president came to, to town and, and, and he was in, uh, uh, he was over at the Coliseum or what they got, the football field over there, you know, and he's giving a speech and there's like 100,000 people there. And there's like one president and 100,000 people. And you're like way in the back. And you're thinking, how can I get to see him? Materially, the president is just there. You see. But Krishna cannot be limited. Krishna is with every living entity. We all have Krishna personally. So if we were in that crowd, if Krishna was there, and we all were devotees of Krishna, it wouldn't be like there's just one Krishna and 150,000 of us. Each one of us has Krishna personally. He can do that. He's unlimited, you see. So we all have uh, 
an eternal, loving relationship with him. He is with every one of us simultaneously at the same time, even though we are innumerable, we meaning the living entities. We're innumerable, unlimited. But so is he. And he has a unique, loving relationship with every one of us. So you, because he's Krishna, he can do this. You are his absolute favorite of all living entities. And so are you. You're his absolute favorite. He can do that. I know. No. Oh, we knew that. Yeah, we already knew. And so are you. And so are yours. Are, no, you're <laughs> You are too. <laughs> so that's the unit. Just like uh, snowflakes. Snowflakes are all made of the same thing. They're all made out of frozen water. But no two snowflakes are, are identical. So the living entities are like that. We all have a unique personality and a unique relationship uh, with him. And he likes that. He likes that relationship. And he wants to have it back. And he's just waiting for us to kind of finish up whatever our trip is in the material world. Decide, I want to go back. I want to return. So, is that okay? What else? You're being awful quiet, huh, Jim? Don't you have any questions? Huh? I do. Any questions? You're full of knowledge. Anything else? That was a great question. And yours was too. Oh, one quick thing. So now, because of the rebellious nature, we have come here. Like, you no, know, he has arranged, he has created this material world for us. So it's like something like we can compare this with an analogy. Like kids, you know, they want to do something on their own. So okay, we we can give them the facility. Okay, you might try out. So the, similarly, God has created this material world, so we can try out, exhaust our propensities. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. So that seems to be too mean, actually. So it means he doesn't care for us. It's the most kind. So like the thing is, like if the child wants to play with maybe like a knife, and if the parents give them the knife, okay, you can play with the knife. So is it so same thing? Like he has done, he has given us, he has kind of promoted our material desires. Okay, this is the material world for you to enjoy. Yeah. So that kind of like it's kind of more dangerous thing like no rather than kind of advising to come towards him he has created a situation where but from from his viewpoint you have to have freedom you have to have freedom you have to have freedom of choice free will so he creates some so the knowledge also he, he knows that you're eternal you're an eternal living entity Bhagavad Gita says the living entity the soul cannot be pierced by a sword cannot be withered by the wind or burned by fire. The living entity is eternal, undying, unborn. So he knows you're safe. But still he goes with you on this journey of yours. As the super soul, Paramatma, the Holy Spirit, he travels with the living entity as we take this body or that body trying to find. So um, and yes, if we want to get away from him, he'll give us he'll give us the faith. And he provides revealed scriptures. Also, yeah. He gives us so many opportunities. Yeah. Read this. And we say, oh, that's really great, but no, no, no I, I want to do something else. Time and time again, you know. We, so he's always there. He comes as his son. He comes in the different parts of the world at different times. And he's always he's always doing his thing to have some influence. But he leaves the choice up to us. He never forces. You know, that's just not his nature. He doesn't have to. You see? He doesn't have to. He, he knows that you'll you will come to the realization. And there's no such thing as time. 
In the spiritual world, there's no such thing as time. When Einstein read the Vedas, he was studying the Vedas. He came up with that time, space-time continuum theory. Because in the Vedas, it says that everything that can possibly happen is happening simultaneously. In the material world, things happen one minute after the other. The material world is a is an opposite reflection of the spiritual world. So then he came up with that theory that wait a minute, if that's possible, then it's all still out there. That's over my head. I don't know how that space-time continuum thing works. I can't prove it or disprove it, but that's how he can. So there's no such thing as time. You see, Krishna creates this material world, and then he has to come himself as Kala. He says, time I am, the destroyer of worlds. If it wasn't, then the material world would, would be spiritual, and it would endure constantly. It would never change. It wouldn't dwindle. So, because it comes from him, it's perfect. So he has to say, I'm going to introduce time, which is me. Time I am, destroyer of worlds. Do you know who said that? Who's the famous guy that said that? The guy up in Oak Ridge, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, yeah. He was a studier. He and Einstein were very fond of Bhagavad Gita and the Vedas. And when he, when he saw the first atomic bomb tested, he thought of that verse, time I am, destroyer of worlds. And he said, my God, what have I done? I mean, at that point, it was, gonna, it was fun up until that point. You know, it was all theory, and, you know. But then, when he had that realization, because atomic weapons are discussed in the Vedas, the concept is there. It's for us, it is discovered. For J. Oppenheimer, it is rediscovered. Because he rediscovered. Because he knows if this thing is exist, then why it's not today, where it is. So he just did some different experiment. And he, in that experiment, his research, he found out. So actually it is there. Yeah. I sent that email when he came previously in May and all this. He himself yeah. confessed and manifested that part from the Bhagavad Gita. That I came to know that all these things are there in one millions of years before, thousands of years before. Right. Then why it is not today then, where it is? We just become ignorant or we don't know where it is or how to do it. That's yeah. it. In order to find that one, he discovered the nuclear bomb. Yeah. The there was a nuclear bomb Einstein already and, there at that time. Einstein and Oppenheimer put their heads together and said, if it, if it existed at one time, then we can re, uh, recreate it. You know. In today's era, we can say that he discovered, but actually he just rediscovered. Rediscovered. Like search and research, yeah. he just rediscovered that. Yeah. Okay. But Einstein gave that E equal to mc square formula is all based and derived from the Vedas actually. It's it's not it's in that form given in Vedas, or maybe given. I haven't. But I've heard it, that that that's based on nothing being able to go faster than the speed of light. And now I've also heard that over in, somebody correct me, but this, this uh, super collider in France that they have, they've actually uh, observed particles that are going faster than the speed of light. So they're saying that E equals MC square may not be, it may be close. Maybe close, but, but it's not absolute. Now that is the highest formula which we yeah. can, because we will believe what we can convince our mind <coughs> according to as of our capacity of mind that the formula is convinced. I thought I think I, they admitted that was a miscalculation and they and they said that it restands. Oh okay. That's the last I heard. Okay. Yeah I don't know. I'm not up on uh, I remember hearing that. So but that's they probably said no no that was silly. That was a miscalculation. Maybe the machine was wrong or it only has to be off a billionth of a second, you know. Subject of earthly time. We've got about two minutes. <laughs> yeah, all right, let's serve up. Yeah, back to Earth. They shut, they shut the doors and kick us out. <laughs> we need to find out. 
Yeah, we need to find out if we have to get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah, Just tell them we're going to serve out a meal, and everybody here is welcome to come. Okay. Nice. So they will have plates, no? Plates for serving. Uh, I don't have them. I don't have any. I didn't get the plate in my bowl. So, if you, if you want to continue, let me keep them to Mama. Yes. I had to inform you that she wants to stick up for It's time. Okay. Right on the nose. So, what we can do is get. Oh yeah, I don't like for that. We'll fix you a plate to go.